Welcome to First Trinity Unity Community Church of the United States. How can we feed you today? Who's teaching? Pastor Wilkes. No, I'm not so crazy about him. Oh, I, I meant uh, Pastor Johnson, of course. Sorry for the mix-up. That's more like it. Now look, I don't want any of that Old Testament business today. I want to focus on the New Testament. Well, of course, sir. The Old Testament God is me. I mean, he's a lot happier now, so let's focus on the present. Certainly. I want some creative illustrations. I want to laugh a little bit, but not too much. I want my communion crackers broken for me with 100% with 100% natural grape juice. I know that stuff last week was from Ken. You think that's honoring to God? No, sir. Of course not. I didn't think so. And I want to feel encouraged and uplifted and affirmed this week. And look, I want some healing for my bunion. And I don't want to be challenged too much, just a little bit, okay? Because I'm challenged enough during work. Certainly. This is a safe place. A happy place. I'd be a lot happier if you had, if you had something in the fifth row or so. Certainly. That's what I'm talking about. Have a blessed day. We laugh, but that's what some people think about church. Just some funny stories here. Think about church because we perceive church in a certain way. So let's laugh while we can because probably they will get our toes stepped on a little bit. A child was in church with her parents, and the ushers passed by, and they seen the offered plate being passed. When it came to her pew, as she sat there, the youngster piped up to everyone that could hear, Please, Daddy, don't pay for me. I'm under five. Right. After the church service Sunday morning, a young boy suddenly announced to his parents that he decided to be a minister. Mom, I'm going to be a preacher when I grow up. That's okay with us. But what made you come to that decision? Well, the little boy says, I have to go to church anyway, so I figured that I'd be more fun to stand up and yell at people than sit and listen. I guess that's one way to become a, a preacher or a pastor. Six-year-old boy was overheard reciting the Lord's Prayer, and it went something like this. And forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who passed trash against us. Very, very cute. I think it was you, Mason. No, no, you're six. Our last one this morning. One Sunday morning, a pastor noticed little Johnny was staring up at a large plaque in the foyer. The young men of seven had been staring at this plaque for some time. So the pastor walked up and said, good morning. Johnny, why are you staring at this plaque? What is this plaque for? Johnny asked. Well, son, the pastor replied, there are individuals who died in the service. Well, his reply was simply this. Which service? The 10.30 a.m. or the 6.30 p.m.? Get it service? Anyway, okay. Well, we welcome you here this morning as we begin our series of Invite Your One. It's a four-message series that brings us to a, an end of June 13th, where we will invite our one to church. Again, first and foremost, for them to hear the gospel. So this morning, we're going to talk about the greater church. What does it mean for us as a church? Why are we a church? What does, what does being a church mean to us? Well, for some of us, it's become the things that we watched this morning on that video. Beautiful buildings, comfortable seats, technology, decorations, activities, music, etc., etc. Right? We agree. That's, that's what church has become. From the time I remember going to church, this is what it was. For some of those reasons, that's the driving factor of, of why people attend a church. Or how long that we stay at a church. And unfortunately, there are reasons why people leave a church. Excuses that we have heard from people leaving a church was the music. I came here 17 years ago. I think I had the Antichrist stamped on my forehead because I played a guitar. So music is, was always that. I fought many worship wars in, the, in my younger years dealing with that. So I understand people were upset with that. Children's ministry, youth ministry, technology, how we dress. And the list goes on and on and on. You kind of get the picture of the drive through church. You want a church that meets your personal needs and your personal convictions. See, church has become a social club. We have a social club mentality. We pay our dues. We sit in our seat. You come to church once a month, and you're good to go. And if church is doing something that goes against your personal convictions or your personal preferences, well, man, you have to let your voice be heard because you've paid your dues, and your voice has got to be heard. And if it's changed, great. 
You've got your way. You went through your drive in church. I want this, this, and this, and this is what needs to happen. And if it isn't, you actually start gossiping and causing dissension to get people involved and create this campaign so you get the, your voices even louder to get what you want. The thing we have to understand this morning is this. Church is not a place to come to be entertained. Church is not a place for us to come and feel like we're at a concert. It's a place where we come to serve. We actually come to work, to worship our Savior. Jesus did not die on the cross for us to have entertainment at church. That's not the purpose of the church. It never was, and it never has been that way. Church is not a daycare. It's not a social club. It's not a concert. Church is a place where we come as brothers and sisters and worship the God who sent his son Jesus to pay our debt, who, to, who gave us eternal life. And we come together collectively and use our gifts and abilities to worship him and him alone. Amen? That is the church. The body is not the building. Us, us here this morning, we could go down a retention basin and worship, and that's the church. Now, I probably would get complaints because it's not mood, but okay. I believe there's three biblical reasons why individuals should leave a church. And I know I have many visitors here. We're glad you're here. Um, so this is just something I'm speaking to our church here because throughout the years we've had many people leave, or ch- leave church. I believe first is a biblical failure. If you go to a church that's preaching heresy, false doctrine, they're not giving you the whole counsel of God, you're not being fed, they're using other books other than the Bible to preach from, yeah, that's a problem. That's probably, you want to probably find another church um, like Faith Bible Church. Um, second reason would be a moral failure. Leaders, members are involved with immorality, much just like the church of Thyatira last week. They tolerated sin that Jezebel creeped up into their midst and was promoting this, this sexual revolution in their church. If you have a church that's known for that, yeah, you probably want to find another church to go to. And lastly would be ethical failures. Church is known for the lack of integrity. They're embezzling money. They're ripping people off. Yet yeah, you, you probably won't, you don't want to be part of a church that is known for that. As I said in the first service, I've been here now about 17 years. I can't believe that. It's crazy. But 100% of the folks that have left this church for whatever reason, 100% of them have not been for these three reasons. For reasons of personal preference. Personal, and you can, you can do that. I wish we would take our church attendance and our fellowship with one another and treat it like we treat our jobs. Would you, after 15, 16 years on a job, just say, you know what? I don't like you, boss. I don't like my new coworkers. I'm leaving. No, you wouldn't do that. Why? Because you see a retirement coming up. You're like, I'm going to hold on here. Your family, you may be upset with your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your kids, whatever. But what? You work through issues. If we would treat our other, issue, uh, other situations in life like we do with the church, man, we would be ostracized out on an island because we just hate everybody. I'm just going to go my own way and do my own thing. Brothers, we're, 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 we're the body of Christ. We need to love one another. And that means, yes, we agree to disagree with one another. But it doesn't mean that we have to separate paths unless it falls in one of those three lines. Why can't we have that mindset in church? So before we jump into Romans chapter 12, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. And it says this, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. Where have you heard this text before? Well, if you were at Seth and Sidney's wedding last weekend, I read this text. This is what they read at weddings. Judy and I had a picture plaque that someone gave to us for a wedding gift, I think a relative, so we had to have it in our house for a certain amount of time, and then we took it down because it was, it was ugly. But we had to appease that individual in our family. But this was, it was this text 
This is what we call, this is the wedding text. But in context, this has nothing to do with marriage. Really? That blows me away. Now, yes, this applies to married couples, but this applies to the church. This applies to your brothers and sisters. Look, look, look beside you. Look behind you. Th th this text here applies to brothers and sisters in this room. Love is patient. Love is kind. I, I love verse 5. It does not insist on its own way. Wow. How many times we have church problems and people just don't get their own way and they're out the door. It's not following 1 Corinthians 13. We look at 1 Corinthians 13. This is how we are to act and love one another here as the body of Christ. So I, I want to challenge you this week. Read this week, 1 Corinthians 13, those passages of Scripture, maybe four devotions. And just think, I want you to ask yourself a question like, am I living out this love with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I acting out this way to my brothers and sisters? Now that was extra. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. We see here now there is a call for us as God's people to be bigger and better than our own personal preferences, bigger and better than our own feelings and our convictions. To be honest with you, church, I'm just going to just say this straight up. I think Paul here in, 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 in Romans and also in 1 Corinthians, I think really he's just telling us as Christians we just need to grow up. We just got to grow up. Sometimes, church, we act like a bunch of elementary students out in a playground, fighting, arguing whose ball it is. We just need to grow up. We need to start seeing who we are as a body collectively as Christ has seen us because of what he has done for us. We need to live this love that we read in 1 Corinthians 13 towards our brothers and sisters. Then and only then we will see how God has gifted us in this program he has set up called the church. So it is way bigger than us. And the church is used for the glory and purpose of God for what? The furtherance of the gospel. That's why we're here. Would you agree with that, church? This is why we are part of the church. So let's go to Romans 12, and let's see what Paul says to believers, how we need to put this into practice. So real quickly, as we kind of jump into a book and we expound on this text this morning, we just, I want to give a little bit of history. So if we go back to the beginning of the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of course, they are uh, four epistles, four men who who's, wrote through their lens of the life of Christ. Okay, then came Acts. Acts is the history book. This is, that was 30 years of church history. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was 33 years of history. Of Jesus' life. The book of Acts is 30 years of church history. Of course, the church started in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Well, all the books after Acts actually happened during the time of church history. And Romans is one of those books. Romans was written by who? Paul. Paul was not in Rome when he wrote this. He actually was in Corinth. Actually, Rome to the Jews was considered the uttermost parts of the world. If we read Acts 1.8, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Rome was considered the uttermost parts of the earth. Rome at this time was the geopolitical, economical power of the world. Okay? And so Paul was writing to a group of Christians in this environment. The book of Romans tells us about God and what he has come to do for us. He tells of Jesus Christ, what his death accomplished for us. It also talks about ourselves, Romans 1 through Romans 3. I mean, Roman, Romans is filled with just, just doctrine and theology, but Romans 1 through 3 talks about our depravity, who we really are. We're sinners, we're depraved, we're wicked, we don't desire God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Paul points out that God, because of Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't have to look pretty and good before God because he died for us in our shame and in our despair. Aren't we, aren't we glad for that this morning? So what I'd like to do to get up to Romans 12 is there, I think there's four transitions. And they all begin with the word therefore. See, when you read the word therefore in the Bible, there's a transition. There's a, another thought there's an application that is coming. So our first transition is this. So again, a general four-point outline of what we see Paul telling the Christians in Rome. And here's what it is. The first transition is this, condemnation. Look at Romans chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 
He says this, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall of fall short of God's glory. Church, we have to understand this. What Paul is getting across to the Christians in Rome, we are condemned. There is none righteous, no, not one. Read Romans chapter 1. We are depraved. We are a wretched people. If you're here visiting, I'm sorry. That's just, that's who we are in our own. We are wretched. We are sinners. And we would all agree, we are condemned. Therefore, now, our second transition Romans 5.1, we are now justified. Romans 5.1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here we go. Paul's saying, therefore, you're condemned. You're guilty because of your wickedness. Now he says, therefore, because of what Jesus has done for us, you are now justified. You are not guilty. Aren't you glad for that? That's good news for us. There was always a phrase when I was growing up in Bible class in Christian school, justified was just as if I've never sinned. You know, God sees you through the lens of Jesus Christ as if you were holy, just, and righteous. Not because of anything we're doing, because we are, we're condemned, we're sinners. But because of Jesus, we are now justified. We are not guilty. You ever been to traffic court? I've been a couple times. When they say, guilty, oh, I'm going to pay a fine. You know, you don't want to hear the word guilty. Paul's saying, listen, we're not guilty. Number three, a third transition before we get to Romans 12. Romans 8, 1, we're exonerated. We're exonerated. Romans 8, 1 and 2 tells us this. There is therefore now no condemnation. Circle that word. Big circle. Condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is nothing that could ever make you stand condemned again in the sight of God. We're exonerated. I, I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says this, Godly people can never be any, by any possibility, be punished for their sin. So what's Paul saying? We're condemned. We're sinners. Therefore, because of Jesus, we're justified. We're not guilty. Therefore, because of that, you're free to go. The verdict's in. You're free. No guilt whatsoever so now here comes the application we get to romans chapter 12 so you get the picture of what paul what what paul's trying to paint here for the christians there in rome number four is this this transition now is commitment romans 12 1 and 2 and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning let's read it together we're going to read this probably a couple times but this is the application because we're condemned we are now justified now we're exonerated so now we need to commit. And this is where becoming a greater church comes into play. Let's read there, verse 1, chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern that is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So based on what we've read so far in the outline of Romans, how should we apply this idea of being a great church? How can we serve God, love God as the church? Again, we went through what Paul says we were, condemned, justified, exonerated. Now we're committed. I believe the first thing we need to do, brothers and sisters, is this. There's times in our life that we have to be reminded of the mercies of God. We need to be reminded of the mercies of God. We need to stop, press, pause, Life gets busy. Life gets crazy. He has, we need to see where he has brought you from, where he has you now, and the mercies of God every day. And now God's taken our good decisions and our bad decisions, and he's woven them into our story. And that story always reflects the goodness of God, regardless if we see it or not. God is not surprised of our actions. Everything 
needs to be remind, we need to be reminded of the mercies of God. So now Paul is telling us, because what Jesus has done for us, because we are his children, we are his followers, what do we do now? We need to commit ourselves to him. This is the start of being a great church. So how do we do this? We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. We're going to break down some words here. And this is, this is now, if, I, if we were at a gym, I would show you how to, well, I wouldn't, but someone show you how to curl a weight or how to do a stretch. This is the application, okay? Because of these things... Now, this is, as Christians, this is what we need to do to be committed to God. Let's look at that first word. I present, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. That word present is, means make available. Make available. This is a Levitical priestly term. They would present a sacrifice. The body of the animal is dead, the, 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 the Blood is drained out of it. It's a dead sacrifice, right? It's a dead sacrifice. But what does Peter tell us in 1 Peter 2.9? We are a royal priesthood. But what, so what are we as a sacrifice to God? Well, we don't, we don't practice. Jesus was the final sacrifice. We don't make offering anymore. But what do we sacrifice? Well, Paul says here, we present a living sacrifice. And what is that? That is us. Make available, present, make available yourselves for God's work. Now, our bodies, God's given us all body to be used for him. Now, I want us to think our, as, our, as your bodies, as using our gifts and abilities, it's a base of operation. God has given our bodies to be the base of operation for his work. See, all this stuff we're going to talk about this morning has to do with gifts and abilities, but it's all about God. God has given us it. Our bodies are the base of, base of operation for God's work. Have you ever thought of it that way? We think of spiritual gifts and being used for God, and here are some of the, some of the excuses, excuses that we see. But God, I, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. Or I'm scared to do that. Well, Paul reminds the Christians in Corinth of this. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Now, I want you to circle and underline this, this phrase. You are not your own. That's hard to take. You're not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We can see illustrations in scriptures where God used people for his purpose and glory by their bodies. Think of, think of Sarah, her womb God used to bring forth Isaac, her only son, to be in the patriarch line to eventually Jesus Christ would come through. You think of the mouth of Moses. You remember the burning bush situation? Moses stood there like, I, 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 I can't do this. I can't lead these people. What are you, crazy? But he offered himself as a living sacrifice. And we, Moses became the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. We think of the hands of David. David, a little shepherd boy who was called forth. And he's the one that stood up against that giant amongst all the other soldiers of Israel. And he used what God gave him to use to kill that giant. David became one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. Are you making our, yourselves available to be used by God? The next phrase is living sacrifice. We are a living sacrifice. Now, that's kind of an oxymoron because sacrifices are usually dead, right? But we're a living sacrifice. If I, if I was going to ask uh, for a show of hands, how many in here have recommitted your life to Christ? Don't raise your hand, but if I would ask, probably a slew of hands would go up. Well, you know what a recommitment is? It's offering yourself as a living sacrifice. In my life, there have been times that I have squirmed off that altar as a living sacrifice. All of us have. God, I'm here. I'm available. If something comes up, you know what? I'm going to just, I don't want to really do that right now. We've all come down off that altar. But by God's grace, we're back up on that altar. Say, God, I'm available to you. Use me. I am a living sacrifice. Use me for what you see fit. Now we see that phrase, your spiritual worship. That's in the ESV. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. Now I'm going to go back to the King James here a moment. King James probably has the best translation for what Paul was trying to say here. It says that you have the King James as your reasonable service. Now that word reasonable there in the Greek is a very interesting word. It's logikos. Now if you kind of sound that out what does that sound like in english logical it is your reasonable service so let's just let's just walk through what paul's saying okay ready to go back therefore you're condemned of your sins but because of jesus you are now justified you're not guilty you're now exonerated you'll never be condemned again so the logical thing to do is to commit yourselves to the service of god it's logical. It makes sense. Because of all this, because of what God has done through Jesus and has exonerated you, you will never be condemned. You will never face judgment. Commit yourself to God. Be that living sacrifice. All right, so we're all together. Because of what Christ has done, we need to make ourselves available to be used by God. All right? Verse 2. That was all in just verse 1. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I love, there's a, there's a, there's a paraphrase translation called the J.B. Phillips English Bible, and it, it says this, when translating this particular verse, and I love it, it says this, do not let the world squeeze you into its own mold. That's good. Do not let the world squeeze you into its own mold. Do not be conformed to this world. Jesus told his followers in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, listen, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the world. Don't be conformed. However, at the times when we squirm off that altar from being that living sacrifice, why are the reasons we do that as Christians? One of them is peer pressure. Have we all faced peer pressure in following the Lord? Sure we have. You know, you're, you're fearful what people are going to say. Uh, people are going to think I'm a little bit more spiritual. You know, are they going to think this? Uh, I'm scared. You know, this person and this person and that person. Peer pressure drives so much of our decisions in, in, in life, particularly when we're younger. What's this person going to think? But it, has, it doesn't change when we get older. Fear. We are scared to death of what people think. When we need to think logically, listen, I don't care what people think. This is what Jesus has done for me. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to be that living sacrifice. Young people, college students, look at me a minute. High school students, look at me a minute. This, is, this verse here is, was always preached at me. You know, do not be conformed to this world. Okay, yeah. But when you think about it with that translation, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. What is, what's some of the mold? Well, we, we think of the academic world that's trying to squeeze your mind into this atheistic, humanistic view of the world. It doesn't want you to have a biblical worldview whatsoever. It's going to try to squeeze you into the mold. What are you going to do? In the area of culture and just everyday life, it, you, you want to party, you want to drink, you want to smoke, you want to go do drugs, you want to have sex with everybody. That, they're conforming you. They are trying to squeeze you into its mold. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. There's, there's, there's a slew of people here that will tell you, yep, been there, done that, don't be conformed. So Paul's saying, listen, to commit yourself to God, that's great, but you can't be conformed to the world. So what's he say? To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word there, renewing in the Greek, means to really just to make new. Being transformed, being made new. We said last week that we need to be students of God's Word. Psalms 119 gives us several, several verses of meditating on God's Word, memorizing God's Word to keep us from sin. See, it's, it's God's Word. It's only God's Word. Because it says in Hebrews 4, God's Word is living and active. And that is the only Word that's going to transform and renew us in our walk. There's a lot of great health books that probably may help you but this book will change your life. It will transform you. It will renew you. Trust the process that God has for you. Okay, so are you with me? We were condemned. We were justified. We were exonerated. 
And now Paul says, commit yourselves as a living sacrifice. The logical thing is now live for God. Look at verse 2, the end of verse 2. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I know, we've, I know I've asked this question throughout my life. I wonder what God wants from me. Young people, what is God's will for my life? How many of us have asked that in our life? We probably, all of us, what is God's will? Well, God's will, many times, we just wait for this, like, fireball in the sky. Like, oh my, that's God's will. And, and yes, can he function that way? Absolutely, he's God. But sometimes God's will is, like, right in front of us, right? We're out here looking, where's God? And God's like, hey, <laughs> right here. For instance, like college, you know, you know kids that want to go to college, and they have these the elite schools they want to go to that cost, like, you know, $50,000 a year. Like, God, please like make college, college affordable to me. Well, there's this little college called Rowan College of South Jersey that's sitting right tucked right there behind the hospital that, like, you could go there for free. God's saying, hey, how about going? Sometimes God's will is, like, right there. Think of dating, right? All the, all the, all the kids, <laughs> dating, <laughs> right? All the, all the middle schoolers are giggling and laughing. You're trying to find that special someone people will travel to college they're, they're, they didn't find their spouse here. i think kenny and kathleen perfect example i'm going to use them kenny and kathleen went to church here together we youth group together kathleen went to college she went away to liberty went to cumberland christian together so they went to they went to liberty she went to liberty and i'm sure she would be probably dated right trying to find that special someone when all along that special someone was right here at faith bible church and she came back, and they got to know each other. Kenny, can I just stand up a minute so everyone can kind of see you guys? Stand up, stand up a minute. Stand up, please. Stand up. So there, that's Kenny and Kathleen. Kenny's one of our deacons. And they're married, have three children. And, well, actually, they have two adult sons that are now in college. But the reason for that example is this. Sometimes God's will is, like, right in front, smacking us in the face, and we're looking over here. When we're seeking God's will, sometimes God, God answers us in the natural Yes, can he have some great big thing happen in our life? Yeah, that's God. Yes, absolutely. But sometimes it's right in front of us. Pay attention to God's leading in your life. I love what Skip Isaac says, Pastor Skip Isaac from Calvary Chapel in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He says this, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then do what you want. Now, let me, let me, let me explain that. When you read that face value, you're like, What did he just say? So when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength when you are tuned with god and when you are meditating on his word and you are walking with him and you are following him and he is your life and he is your passion guess what what you want to do is what he's going to want for you to do see what god wants for you when you're walking to foot by foot step by step with him guess what you're going to do what he wants for his will in your life so as we think of the, of the greater church, we can think about what Paul is saying here. Paul gives a glimpse into what believers need to be doing in the churches. We seek to be a part of a greater church. When I say greater church, not faith, Bible, church. No, I'm just, us as a body, a local body, looking beyond what we imagine church to always be. Coming to church, sitting down, and going to this activity, having children's church. It's, it's, it's way bigger than that. Remember, our bodies are a base of operation for God to use us. Let's look at some of these gifts. Look at verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now Paul here is addressing the issue which happens when people start using gifts and abilities and start getting positions of, of leadership. There's pride. There's pride. It's the exaggeration of, in our minds of our abilities. Right? But you know what? God, God condescends to use the likes of us, the foolish, to promote his glory and fulfill his purpose. Here's, here's statements that I know leadership hears throughout the years about, and this is where pride sets in. Here's one. This is my ministry. I've heard that several times. No, it's not. I want to just jump out of my skin, but I don't. It's not your ministry. It's God's ministry. Or, God has gifted me to lead this ministry. That just sounds so holy and just and righteous, right? Or, I have served this ministry for many, many years. Kudos to you. 
You were just a base of operation for God, for God to use you. That's all. And Paul's saying here in verse 3, saying, listen, don't let this get to your head. Don't think yourselves better than someone else. I love what 1 Corinthians 1, verse 31 says. It says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because the Lord will use the foolish. That's me. I'm, I'm foolish. God will use the foolish to promote his glory. He uses the likes of us. We are nobodies, but God chooses to use us. Isn't that an amazing thought? So scripture continues on. We look at verses 4 through 8 in this chapter of the spiritual gifts. I know this is a message that we could spend weeks on talking about spiritual gifts, but not going to do that because that's not the purpose of our message. Look at verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one, one another. What Paul's saying, listen, just like our body, our toe does not function the way our fingers, or our finger can't function the way our eye does. He's saying there's so many different parts, but they function differently, but they fulfill a purpose. And that's what Paul's getting ready to say here. Look in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them in prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service, I want you to circle the word service because we're coming back to that. This is going to be your homework right here, verse, verse 7. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who is, uh, contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see, Scripture gives us, there's four passages of Scripture that deal with spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter chapter 4 gives kind of a description of how many gifts are mentioned in, there, there, there's between 18 and 22 gifts, spiritual gifts mentioned in the Bible, depending on how you interpret those, we're not going to get into that, but that's the gifts given in those four verses. And I want us to think about gifts, gifts that we offer to God. We never should say, wow, you are amazing. I just can't, you are just, you're using your gift, you are amazing. We've heard that comment to said to people throughout our life when they're serving, you are just the greatest thing since sliced bread. Like, you are just like God's best person living in the world right now. That's a false statement. Think of a mechanic. Now, Sheila, you know, Mike and Sheila are our mechanic, you know, Mike, Mike is our mechanic, we're probably many here. I don't ever go to the certified auto and when Mike's done working my car, what tool did you use? And sit there, that ratchet set is like totally amazing. That, that thing fixed my car. This ratchet set fixed my car. Man, you, it's awesome. No. I said, Mike, you are the man. Why? Because Mike is the mechanic using the tool for the purpose of fixing that car. See, our gifts and abilities, God uses us, just the tools, to fulfill what he wants for the body of Christ for his purpose. Now, I, there's, I, you circled the word service. There's, 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 like I said, 18 to 22 spiritual gifts. But there's one gift that we all in here can do. And it's the word service. That word there in the Greek means to help, to assist. That is a spiritual gift. And the question is, I don't know what my spiritual gifts are. Well, God, I know. We have to sometimes walk through that, where you're gifted, where God, talent, what talents you have, and how you can be used by God. We don't have time to get into that this morning, but there's one spiritual gift. And that's service that all of us can contribute. Paul, I mean, Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4, 11, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. All of us here that are members of Faith Bible Church can serve the God. What's the word, in the Greek, what's it mean? To help and to assist. We can do that in so many areas. Are we available to serve? Remember, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, the logical thing to do because of what Christ has done, our bodies as living sacrifices to use those gifts, that area of service to God. You know, as, as, as Faith Bible Church, we need help. We need assistance. I know you say, yeah, you guys sure do need help, right? But we need, and it's not for us. It's for the furtherance of the gospel. I think there's four areas as we close. Again, as we kind of tied on with from last week, we looked at seven churches, and those seven churches were known for some things. Laodicea, it was the lukewarm church. They were lukewarm. They were known. And how, how did they become known for that? Because there were people in the church that were lukewarm. And 
that permeated the church, and they were known as the lukewarm church, the, the church of Thyatira. They tolerated sin. They were people that, to- so that church was known for that. Think, of what's Faith Bible Church known for? Well, I think it starts individually. I think, again, the church is the body. And as we come together, we hope that these particular four areas will be part of our life personally to where it infects us as a church and we're known to be this church as a greater church for the glory of God. First is this, as we close. We need to believe in the greater commandment. Mark chapter 12. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Personally, ask yourself, do you truly love God with, your, with the totality of your being? If you don't, that's where you need to start. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The great commandment. We can't be a greater church if we don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, the Great Commission. Are we faithfully out proclaiming the gospel? Are we faithfully out sharing our faith? Matthew 28, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Are we, are you, in your job, in your community, are you faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ? We have a great example, which is our third. Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 talk about the early church and the examples the example that they are for us 2,000 years removed. We always look at examples. I'm going to tell you a secret, so please don't think ill of me. And when I was in high school, my favorite band, one of my favorite bands was Van Halen. I know, oh, my word, but he was. Okay, <laughs> so I was like, yeah! All right, anyway. But Eddie Van Halen just died about a year ago. He had cancer. He was a phenomenal guitar player. He was an example for any guy who picked up a guitar. I want to play like Eddie Van Halen. Like Dave does up front on a Sunday morning. You know, he's just streaming through the thing, right? He was an example for musicians. We have examples in sports. The church here in Acts 2 and 4 is an example for us today. And why were they such a great example? Because they were committed. They were committed to the teaching of the Word of God. Two, they were committed to the fellowship of believers. And here at Faith Bible, the fellowship for us is, yes, Sunday morning, but it's also small groups. You need to be part of a small group. See, Pastor Frank, we'd love to get you connected. That is where the fellowship of believers comes, and they were committed to that. And thirdly, they were committed to w- being of one mind with one another. And why that is important is this. The video that we watched before the service, none of that stuff happens. Why? Because we are so focused on thinking what God wants us to do. And what God wants us to be as a church. And then our fourth is the great plan. We have a great plan as individuals who have the gifts that God has given us to reproduce them. Ephesians chapter 4. To equip the saints of the ministry to the building of the body of Christ. You have a gift. You have an ability. Hopefully you're bringing in a younger generation. You're you're passing that gift on. You're you're helping them hone that gift to where when you get older and you... That individual is a revolving door. And the church continues to grow. Why? Because we are equipping saints constantly to do the work of the ministry. Isn't that a beautiful picture of how the God, Jesus uses the body of Christ to continue to, to promote the furtherance of the gospel? That's how this works. The church is not an island. The church is not this entertainment facility where we come one week. This is a place of service and work. Are you with me? To serve the Lord in the gifts He has given you. Serve wherever. Can I tell you something else? I'm really sharing a lot of my life here with you this morning. So, sometimes serving, you do things that maybe you used to do. And as you get older, it's like, yeah, I'm kind of getting out of like children's ministry. Because children are just great. Little tykes running around. So, you know, Wednesday night, we needed help, Pastor Frank. Goes, I said, Junior, I'll hop in there. I love, you know, my five kids, I can discipline them, you know, if they get out of hand. But your kids, I can't, you know. But you know what? It was a great joy, even though I didn't really feel like doing it. I did it, and I had a blast. Why? Because God gave me that joy, gave us that, that privilege to sit with these little kids and just have fun with them and, and play games. It's just being, it's being available and let God do whatever he wants to do in and through you. And so I hope that's your prayer, that we can do that as the body of Christ. Where is God leading you to serve so we can be part of this thing, the greater church? The greater church means what God intends our church to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Just pray that you would be with 
um, us as we go through this week. Help us to um, serve you. Help us to think about where areas in which we can serve you here, Faith. Um, you've gifted all of us. And Lord, particularly in service, we just need to make ourselves available to you. It's the logical thing to do. Uh, as, as we read in Romans, like because of what you have done for us, the logical thing is, Lord, I put myself as a sacrifice on as an offering. You use me. And so as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want you to just contemplate. This is a kind of a, 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 a time in, in our service that I, we heard a lot of information. And uh, I want you to think how can you be used of God here at Faith Bible Church? If you're here and you're, you're seeking to come here, we are so glad you're here. We would love to use you as, as we look to see you become a member and join Faith Bible Church. But how can you serve your God? You're not doing it for me and Pastor Mike and Pastor Frank or the deacons. You're doing it for God. And so think about that this week, church. How can you serve Him in your life? Lord, we love you. Give us a great week in your precious name. Amen. So stand up and sing, uh, you give life, you are love. You give life, you are love, you bring life to you.